Amen. Again, my name is uh, Clayton, and I'm one of the pastors here at Kingswood, and we're so glad that you're able to join us uh, on this Sunday morning, and we're especially want to uh, welcome any guests with us and uh, those from our Deerfield campus. We're so glad that you're able to join us today. So ever since uh, I was little, I loved superhero stories. Um, me and my brothers, I'm the oldest of five, five kids and uh, in my family, and we'd always dress up as our favorite superheroes. Often for me, that was Spider-Man or Batman or one of the X-Men characters. I love Cyclops because I had glasses when I was in first grade, and he had glasses, but I didn't have lasers kind of in my eyes. So, um, but I really like it. We like to dress up as them because these superheroes, what do they do, right? They uh, come in and swoop in and fly in or whatever they do and save the day. And as a kid, we, we love that, right? But I think the interesting thing about superheroes is that their identity is only part of who they are. So we have Spider-Man. Underneath Spider-Man's mask is Peter Parker, right? Peter Parker. He uh, is a teenager when he gets bitten by this spider. He's a photographer. First he goes to school, and then when he graduates, he works for the Daily Bugle, the paper, and takes pictures basically of himself because he is Spider-Man, which is really fascinating. Uh, And then we have Batman, and under Batman's mask is Bruce Wayne, right? Uh, And I always loved... um, Batman, um, because he didn't have any special powers. Bruce Wayne isn't bitten by a radioactive spider. He's just basically rich and can buy whatever he wants and make all these gadgets. Uh, that's basically uh, Batman in a nutshell. Uh, but, but these masks that superheroes wear, they really, what they do is conceal their true identity for a, a multitude of reasons. But that's really what they hold and doesn't allow them to be fully Bruce Wayne, Peter Parker, who they are. Today, uh, we continue our series called Faith on Broadway. And for the past two weeks of this series, we've looked at the musicals of Frozen and Fiddler on the Roof. And today, we look at another musical called Phantom of the Opera. So by raising your hand, who here in here has seen the musical or the movie? Lots of us. Lots and lots of us. Um, like this story, and like the stories of Spider-Man And Batman, in Phantom of the Opera, it's a story about wearing a mask to conceal ourselves, to conceal the the phantom and his one side of his face that is deformed. It's a story about fear of living in to our true selves. But this is not just merely a story, and superhero comics and, and movies aren't just only stories, but really they are a struggle within all of us. We all wear masks. Now, most of that time is not a physical mask. My son does, but he's seven. Um, But, you know, we don't physically wear a mask, but there are things and barriers that we put up so that people uh, uh, can't fully know who we are. This might be a social media platform that we are uh, constantly on, and maybe you're sitting there on your phone on it right now. Um, There is this constant need maybe for us to overachieve. Maybe it's always cracking a joke, uh, maybe in, even in situations that maybe you shouldn't like crack a joke in that situation. Uh, maybe it's attempting to control everything, desiring to please everyone, or conforming to what everyone else wants. And again, this is often done out of fear. We're afraid uh, of what, that people around us won't accept us, but if we're the funniest people in the room, maybe we'll get that love and acceptance. Or 
If I can, we think if we can just make everyone happy, if I can conform to what people want or please and, and, and figure out what everyone wants, then I'll have their love and acceptance. And this is not good for us because, and I think we know this, this leads often to isolation, depression, stress, anxiety, all those things that we're working not to, to have, right? But when we remove our masks, we can become the people that God has created us to be. And so the scripture today in the musical, The Fam of the Opera, I think will help us to see the danger of putting on masks, the struggle to remove those barriers. But when we do, the deep desire and need within us to live as followers of Jesus and, and to do that more fully. So uh, those, especially from the Buffalo Grove campus, will know this about me. I don't actually like musicals. Um, we've been doing this series for two years, and I really love you all. And I get up here and talk about it, but I don't really like musicals. Every time I come up here, I, it usually goes something like this. I've never seen this musical, but I watched it last week so I could preach on this sermon. Um, but this week, uh, this, sir, this, uh, this uh, musical is a bit different. I've actually seen The Phantom of the Opera. It was actually the first musical. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> You're not gasping because I haven't seen Music Man. I've seen Phantom of the Opera. Um, and uh, Caitlin and I, uh, she came home. We had been married about three years. She comes home and says she wants to go see a musical. And I'm like, great. Uh, like, can we get dinner? That'll maybe make this a little bit better. Um, and we went out, and she wanted to see the fame of the opera. And I literally had no idea what she was talking about. So I was like, well, we won't spend you know, a night at home. We'll be out doing stuff, whatever. This sounds fine. But I really, really enjoyed the, Like, I really liked it a lot. I was, I was very surprised. Uh, and later I learned that I was in good company because this is the longest-running Broadway musical. It just went off Broadway this past April. It had ran on Broadway for 35 years. It's had nearly 14,000 performances on Broadway. It's been seen by over 20 million people, and it's made over $1.4 billion. And I think this shows us the evidence that this resonates with everyone. This is a musical that everyone can kind of understand and get something from. I was listening to the New York Times podcast called The Daily, and they were reporting on this in April when the last showing was. They actually had people there seeing that last showing and then reported on that. And Michael Barbaro, who's the host of that, said this about it. He said, there are certain truisms about New York City. The first one that comes to mind is that there's going to be traffic on Times Square. The second one is that the pizza is not really as good as everyone says it is. <laughs> and the third is that the Phantom of the Opera is a permanent fixture of the city. So why did the Phantom of the Opera stay on Broadway for so long? I think one of the reasons is that we all put on masks. And this is a story of the struggle to remove them and what can happen when we do that. So I know many of us have seen it, but maybe it's been a while. So I'm going to do a quick summary of the musical, kind of so we're all on the same page. So it begins in the year 1911, which is 30 years after the events that we'll see in just a moment. And the first character we meet is Raul, who's one of the main characters, but he's much older now. And they're at, this, they're at the opera house. It's run down, and it's no longer in service. And at this auction, he, he purchases his music box, and he says his wife, Christine, who's also one of the main characters, would talk about this music box often. So after that piece is purchased, they have another piece um, 
in the, in the auction, and it's the chandelier, which is like the central part of the entire musical. And the auctioneer talks about how this was a part of the strange affair of the fame of the opera. They relight the chandelier, and it's raised to the ceiling, and then we're whisked, the audience is whisked back 30 years into the past. And so we, to, to, and the point is to learn about what is a strange affair of the Phantom of the Opera. And so first we see that the owner of the opera house has retired and he's appointed these two new managers to take over the opera house. And then we meet Carlotta, who's a, a really big diva and thinks she's like the greatest thing since sliced bread. And uh, she's singing and all of a sudden one of the backdrops almost fall on top of her and she quits on the spot. Um, she says, this has been happening for three years. I've had it. I'm out. So they don't have a lead right now. And so Christine, who we had sort of met through our old 30 years in the future, she becomes that main leading role. And she does an amazing job. And one of the people in the theater watching is Raul. Raul notices that she uh, is someone that he knew from childhood. Um, it's kind of head, head over heels for her. Um, but after the performance we meet the Phantom for the first time. We learn, uh, Christine goes to her room, and we learn that there's been this voice or this person teaching her how to sing, which is weird. So let's just put that out there. A guy from the other side of the mirror teaching you to sing is a weird thing. And then he comes through the mirror, and we see him for the first time, and she's whisked away through tunnels underneath the opera house to his lair. Like, anytime someone says, you want to go to my lair, the answer's No. Um, this is a weird, weird story, right? Um, but she goes to his lair. There's, they, they sing this bit, and they come to the lair, and she wants to know what's under the mask because it's like, don't press the red button. You want to press the red button. She takes off the mask, um, and the phantom says that he just wants to be like everyone else and that he hopes that she can love him because he's madly in love with Christine. Eventually, the phantom returns Christine to her room, and then we learn that the Phantom's been writing these notes to the new owners of the opera house. Um, and in this time, Carlotta, you know, super diva, has come back. And, of course, they've given her the leading role back, as they do. Um, but the, the Phantom says, I want box five to remain open. I want Carlotta to be regulated to a silent part. And Christine needs to have the leading role. They don't do any of that. And so the Phantom interrupts the performance to reveal that he's killed one of the stagehands. Again, not you know, broken story here. And um, chaos obviously ensues, and Christine and Raul go to the roof. Christine is scared because she was like, I was in his lair, you know, maybe thinking this could have been me sort of thing. And Raul convinces her to, to be with him, that he'll protect, pr he'll protect her. But th what they don't know is the phantom's also on the roof. He hears all of this. He becomes angry he sends the chandelier in the opera house crashing to the ground, end of act one. Act two begins at this masquerade ball with everyone wearing masks, which I think is a really bad idea if there's a phantom there, but that's what they do. We learn that Raul and Christine are engaged, um, and the phantom hasn't made an appearance, which if you've been in any musical or movie, you know he's about to make an appearance. He does. He's written this opera. They have Christine end up doing the leading role, in that, and the whole point is so that Raul can take him out, essentially, and we all kind of know what that means, and, um, but she doesn't really want to do it because she really cares for the Phantom. Uh, she may not want to marry him, but she doesn't want him to be hurt. During the performance, she's singing. The Phantom comes beside her and starts singing. They don't know that. She realizes that it's him. She takes off his mask to reveal himself to kind of everyone 
Chaos ensues again. The Phantom takes Christine back to the lair, and Raoul follows uh, them to the lair. And the Phantom believes that Christine doesn't want to be with him because of his facial deformity, and she informs him, you killed a guy. That's why I don't really want to be with you. Um, and so he says he still won't let her go. And, and Raul at this point is there. And so he's like, you have two options. Stay with me and I'll release Raul. Or don't stay with me and I'll kill Raul. So what she does is she kisses the phantom in kind of a, a twist, so to speak. He feels like love for the first time. And he releases both of them. And the musical ends by the phantom vanishing, and kind of the spotlight is on this pedestal, and the, his mask is there. So he has kind of dropped down his mask and has left. So this story is a hard, hard story that doesn't fully resolve in a neat, nice, neat little bow. But I want to talk a bit about the scripture and see how we can connect these two things, because I think what it has to say to us is that we can lay our masks down for good, and live into who we are. So the first scripture comes from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 7 to 13. And we see that Samuel, through God's direction, is to appoint a new king in Israel. And initially, Israel did not have a king. Um, but they pleaded with God to be like the other nations. We want to be like the other nations. We want, they have a king. We want a king. Samuel warned them that this is a really bad idea because what often happens to kings is they're ruling over people and they're corrupted by power and you don't want that. But they said we want to be like the other kings, so they appointed King uh, Saul to be king over Israel. And surprisingly, Saul was corrupted by power. And so God is now needing to appoint a new king. And we see the author in 1 Samuel illustrates how people then and even us today view leaders and kings. And if they're big and strong and tall and those sorts of things, um, they'll be really great leaders. And that's not how God intended it, right? It got, in the scripture, the author talks about that God doesn't look at their stature, but looks at their heart, indicating why they are in need of a new king. So he goes to the house of Jesse. Jesse brings in has all these sons, brings them in one after the other. Samuel's like, no, no, none of them. And no sons start coming in. And so Samuel has to say, do you have anyone else? Because I, I know it's going to come from this house. Um, and Jesse finally relents and is basically like, oh, yeah, there's David, but he's not going to be king. And we all know the end of the story. He is the king. Um, he's just a shepherd boy. Um, and so he finally brings him in, and eventually he's anointed as king. But I think what's important here is that David didn't meet the criteria of king. I think Jesse thought, it'll be my oldest son. He's the greatest, which I like because I'm also the oldest. Uh, but that's not typically what God does, right? Um, he's the youngest. He's the smallest. He's the shepherd. Um, but God is doing a new thing. But what's also important is that Jesse is creating a barrier or even a mask to put on um, by saying, like, oh, David's not the one. Yeah, pick one of the other ones, preferably my oldest son, because that's what we're used to, right? But that's not what he does. And uh, we'll learn later that David is a good king in some areas, but he's also corrupted by power, similarly to Saul. But that's kind of a sermon for another day. The point is, is that while Jesse thought there was no way, God had something different in mind. And then we come to the second passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and it says, Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good, pleasing, and mature. This, there is a call here to not conform to what we see in our world. And this could mean for us maybe today to not lean into fear and shame. Remember that this is often why we put up barriers and slide on those masks that we put on. But through the scripture, God is calling us to throw out these masks so that we can fully be who God created us to be because we're no longer afraid and we're no longer hiding. So as we look at the Phantom of the Opera and these scriptures today, I think one thing is clear, that we're to remove our masks, but this is no easy task. And that to remove our mask is not a one-time deal. We don't take it off once and then never tempted to put that back on again. But each day, we need to recommit ourselves to live fully into the person that God has created each of us to be. And in doing that, we can help others take off their masks. Similar to how Christine really helped the phantom realize he could leave it, leave his mask off, and move into a new new future. So I'm reminded uh, this morning of, of the morning, one of the morning prayers of John Wesley, and it goes like this. Oh, that we begin this day in devout meditations, in joy unspeakable, and in blessings and praising thee, who has given us such good hope and everlasting consolation. Lift up our minds above all these things below, which are apt to distract our thoughts and keep them above, till our hearts are fully bent to seek thee every day. And the way wherein Jesus hath gone before us, amen. May that be our prayer this week, Kingswood Church. May we wake up each morning and especially focus on lifting our minds beyond the things that distract us, because those are our barriers and our masks. In other words, Kingswood Church, let us be transformed because we put the mask down that we have let go of those barriers and we have set those things aside because we're called deeper and more fully into our identity as followers of Jesus. Let us continue on this journey with Jesus, each of us and as a community of one church in two locations, to push away fear and shame and lead us into the love and the grace of Christ. Amen.